0: In the book of Philippians, and we find ourselves today in Philippians chapter 4. Today we'll be focusing on verses 8 and 9. It's found on page 982 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along there. If you do not have your own copy of the Bible with you this morning today. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you again for your people. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to open up your word to your church and to share your word. I pray, Lord, for us all. I pray for help for myself as I speak. I pray for help for your people as they hear. Lord, I pray for much fruit. The name of Jesus would be glorified in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly learn what it means to delight ourselves in you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I really am amazed, and I don't know why, after all this time, how often the different things I'm reading or different circumstances that I might come across over the course of a week often lines up with uh, what I'm preaching on that Sunday. Um, This week was no different. This was our my week to meet with uh, the men in my discipleship group and uh, we're still working uh, through the book The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. I'll actually um, share a couple of quotes from him from that book uh, this morning, but just how perfectly uh, what uh, our chapter was on this past week lined up with uh, where we are now in the book of Philippians. Uh, actually, in that first chapter or in the chapter that we 're reading this past for this past week, uh, Bridges talks about what he calls the the continuum of influence in our lives Now, that may sound like kind of a, a funky title, but when I explain it to you, I think you'll uh, you 'll kind of get what i what I mean here and, and so uh, if you think of influence in your life uh, on one extreme being the culture and society that we live in, and, and uh, the fallen nature of it, and the sinful influences. If you if you think of one end of the continuum being there, and the other being the Word of God, and you drew a line between the two, where we fall on that line really tells us what we're being influenced by. Does that make sense? So if I look at my life, and, and I see the fruit of uh, bitterness and lustful thoughts and dissatisfaction, then chances are I'm more on this end of the continuum. That makes sense, right? And, and on the other hand, if, if the fruit of my life is, is more marked by a, a sense of peace in God, joy in my circumstances, even when they are difficult, a genuine love for other believers, then it's likely that I'm on the other end of the continuum. And in life, if we're honest, we find ourselves going back and forth between the two, do we not? But this is one of those things where we want to go to an extreme. We, we want to be over here, don't we? We want our lives to be directed by and subject to the authority of God's word because that is where God has spoken clearly to us, his people. So, 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 so in certain scenarios, and when, when you think about extremes, you want to be in the middle. Well, this is one of those situations. No, we, we want to be way over here. And so the question for us as believers is, how do we get there, right? That's what we want to know. How do we find ourselves on the Word of God end of the continuum of influence in our lives? Well, the great news is, here in Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives us the tools that we need in order to spend more time over here than we do over there make sense I, I would think that's something that we would all desire I certainly do I, I see my need for it as a not just as a pastor but just as a, as a man who's seeking to honor God with his life here in chapter 4 verses 8 and 9 Paul gives us really two tools that that help us to, to, to learn to live on that continuum on the on the Word of God side of that continuum first one the first way is through how we think and what we think about the 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 where our mind is set often sets the direction of our lives and the second is what we actually learn from the Word of God we put that into practice right so 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 we have two 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 themes that we're going to look at from these two verses. The first is setting our minds on what pleases God, and and the second being putting into practice what we've learned from the Word of God. So, So let's begin first with what it means to set our minds on what pleases God. Now, I'm gonna do things a little bit differently this morning in that uh, the, the whole sermon. We're looking at two verses. The whole sermon's gonna rest really heavily on understanding two words that Paul brings out in each verse, which are commands to us in the Greek. And, and the first one is the word think about or the words think about and so we're, we're going to focus heavily on what Paul means by that because we need to know what he means for those other things that have weight in our lives right and, and and the second being from verse nine that word practice practice these things okay so let's look first at verse eight setting our minds on what pleases God Paul writes finally brothers whatever is true Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so we're starting with the end of the verse to understand the beginning. So let's consider this word that is translated think about. And that's the Greek word legezomai. Okay, and, and that's the, the Greek word. Oopsie, I switched things and forgot to tell you that. First, let me give you this quote, and then we'll go to the Greek word. Uh, this is what Bridges writes about thinking. Thinking is our most constant activity. Our thoughts are our constant occupation. We are never without them, but we can choose the direction and the content of those thoughts. And that really is a true statement. If Paul's about to to teach us what to think about as Christians, what to set our minds on, if you will, it's important to have that reminder that we are in control of what we think about. We are. And what we think about often is a great indicator of what is really in our hearts and minds and, and even what we are afraid of. What we think about matters, brothers and sisters. What we dwell on matters because these thoughts and meditations direct the course of action in our lives. These are things that we can control. So so what does it mean to think about? Legizomai. Definition would be to count or credit or consider, and this isn't the first time that Paul uses this word in Philippians. In fact, in Philippians 3.13, Paul uses this word again, but instead of think about, it is translated consider. Philippians 3.13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but, I, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here we see this word used again, and in just a few moments I'm going to share other instances from the New Testament where we find it used, but every time we see it used, it's, it's not just some light word where Paul's saying, oh, well, think about you know, the birds of, uh, of the field, or, or, or think about a sunrise. No, he's saying think in a way that, that has direct effect on the way that you act, the way you carry yourself, the way you understand who you are. Paul says, listen, I, I don't consider that I've arrived at that point where I'm going to see Jesus face to face. But, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep living in a way where that's what I'm looking for. I'm forgetting everything, everything that I had gained through my privilege in life and, and, and where the family I was born into and the job that I had and the, all of that. I'm putting those things behind me and I'm straining forward to Christ's likeness because that is what I'm called to. So Paul's understanding, his thinking about his spiritual growth and his desire to be with the Lord is what drives him not resting on who he once was. Does that make sense? We, we see this elsewhere in Scripture as well. Here's some other uses in the New Testament of Excuse me, uh, of the Greek word, my, sorry. Um, the first being Romans 6.11. Paul's writing about their, uh, our, our, the attitude we are to have as believers once we've been justified through faith in Christ. Romans 6.11, Paul writes, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, And alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? Paul says, listen, a new reality has happened in our lives when we enter into the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. When we've been saved, when we've been declared righteous by God, we need to have a new understanding, a new estimation, a new consideration of who we are and how we live. It's life-changing. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Romans eight eighteen. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul was going through what? Trials. He faced trials on every side as an apostle. He was beaten. He was in prison. He faced shipwreck, illness, rejection by his own people. People in the church slandering him. And Paul says, listen, all of that, as bad as it may be, does not come close to the glory that is to come. And that enabled him to persevere. So Paul thought about his trials in light of a future glory that was to come and that enabled him to be faithful can you see that, that he's not just idly thinking about something but he is counting the cost and the worth of these things in order to be faithful finally Hebrews eleven nineteen, 19 the writer of Hebrews is using the example of Abraham when he was uh, offered up Isaac to, um, at the command of God beginning at verse 17 Paul writes, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews writes, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, what was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him back from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, that Abraham's understanding of the promises of God was such that he believed that, that, that even if he obeyed God and sacrificed Isaac, that God would give him back. He, he considered this to be true because he trusted God. That, that, that's an important word, right? Consider, think about. This is not idleness. This is a, a frame of reference. This is a, a mindset. That, that Paul is writing about even here in Philippians. And, and it's important if we're going to understand the thrust because this is a, one of those great verses that ends up on coffee mugs, right? Whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, think about these things. Well, that's, that's great with your cup of joe, but, but if you aren't considering the weight of what Paul is saying with the phrase, think about then those other things just become poetic and nice. And that is not Paul's intent here in Philippians chapter 4. No, he is calling us to something far greater. Let's look deeper. The the, the tense in verse 9, Logizeste, we find that the mood of the verb is in the imperative and the tense of the verb is in the present. And you said, what's that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because this is one of those times where one of my geeky word studies is incredibly important for us, all right? The imperative mood, since you ask, means that the subject, the Philippians and us by extension, are receiving a command, but it's not just any command. It's a command with the expectation that we will willfully obey. Not that we will do it under compulsion, but that we will recognize that this is for our good, and we will respond as we ought. So that's what the imperative mood is. Okay, you've heard about imperatives before. Maybe present tense might be a little different. The, the present tense means that the expectation for obedience is immediate and has no end in sight. So, so Paul's not just saying, think about once and then go back to what you were doing. What Paul is saying, is like, let's think about, make it your ongoing way of processing. Don't stop. Don't stop until your mind has been renewed. In fact, don't stop until your mind has been glorified when you're looking on Jesus face to face and you can't help but do all these things. So it's a priority. This is is important, brothers and sisters. And, And this should affect how we review and and respond to the things that Paul calls us to think about. So so can you feel the weight of where Paul is right now? Okay, this this is not a a suggestion. This is why we're starting at the command and then backing up to what we're commanded to do. We, We need to feel this, brothers and sisters, not in the emotional sense, but the weight of it. God is telling us through Paul what we should spend our mind, our time thinking about, focused on, caring about, delighting in. Okay, so what are those things? Again, I'm so glad you asked. Paul writes, whatever is true. True means real, honest, genuine. In other words, those things that can be trusted. Specifically, God's Word. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, means to be that those things that are, that, that are worthy of our reverence. One example is that in, in 1 Timothy and then again in Titus, as Paul is writing to describe the behavior of, of deacons, that's the word that he uses. And in Titus, he, he, he uses that to describe the word of older men. Be reverential, live in a way that that shows that your behavior should be respected and emulated. Now, Paul isn't just saying just to think about people in that sense, but, but, but to find delight in those things that are worthy of reverence, worthy of honor. Whatever is just, this means righteous, and, and for something to be righteous, it must be in line with God's standards. You see how we keep coming back to the rule, the role of God's word in our lives. Do we want to know what's true? We need to look to the word. Do we want to know what's honorable? We need to look to the word. Do we want to know what's righteous? We need to look to the word of God. Whatever is Pure means holy or sacred, that which is unstained by sin, morally clean, lovely, pleasing, agreeable, that, that which God is pleased with, commendable, those things that are of high regard, good reputation, and then. These are all adjectives, by the way, and, and Paul is building up to his nouns here in, 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 at, at the end of verse 8, where he says, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, this is a, that's a summary statement about everything that he's listed so far in the adjective category there, the the the, the, the true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. He said, listen, these things are, are excellent, these things are, are worthy of praise, these are the things that we should think about. Now, it would seem to me, and, and hopefully to as I think of you, you think along these lines as well. Well, obviously we need to be a, be a people who are Godward focused in our thinking and, and specifically biblically focused. That's, that's where we need to be, and we're going to get to that in point two. But that does not mean that those are the only things that we are called to think about. There there are other ways that we see God glorified in the world and and we need to to, to look to those as well. We we see it in the lives of of our brothers and sisters in their service and sacrifice for the glory of God. We we see it when people give and serve and love one another sacrificially. We we see it in acts of, of boldness and Courage. We, we see it in God's hand at work in what he has made. We, we see it all around us. And, and Paul's call is, is for us to be so biblically minded that we can weigh and measure the things that we see and experience and recognize those things that we should be delighting in and we should be thinking about. Now, this takes discipline, brothers and sisters. This is not something that, 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 that we do naturally. But, but back in verse 5, the Apostle Paul says this, or excuse me, verse 4, no 5, to, to the people, in, to us and to the Philippians. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And we learned last week that that word reasonableness means a whole lot more than what reasonable means to us in the English. That, that word is translated the Greek word is translated so many different ways that ultimately describe the fruit of a mature Christian life. And and, and in verse 8 Paul says if you want to get there then this is the way our minds must be wired. We need to be intentional in thinking about the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Because this is what we are called to as the people of God. So what are some ways that we can set our minds on what it pleases God? First of all, we learn to delight in God and in His Word. We learn to delight in things that honor God. We learn to delight in ways in which we see God's grace at work in the world. We spend our time meditating on God's character and his promises as he's revealed them in his word. We learn to celebrate God's work in the lives of others. Perhaps Most importantly, we consistently look forward to the day that we meet Jesus face-to-face. Just Earlier, Paul wrote what? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. I press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Setting our minds on what pleases God. Brothers and sisters, what, what do we think about? When we have idle time, where do our minds go? Honestly, probably depends on what we're dealing with, right? Paul is not writing this in a vacuum. He is not factoring out the reality of how difficult life in this fallen world can be. But in the midst of this fallen world, he is calling us to a better way. Every one of you in this room has been blessed with a good mind. And and by a good mind, I'm not referencing your intellect, which you're all smarter than me, but what I am referencing is it's good in the fact that if your faith is in Christ, it has been redeemed by God. So you have the capability to dwell on and, and to think about and to study the Word of God and to be transformed by it. And not only can you, not only can we, but we should. We must, brothers and sisters. So, so, so the first way that, that we grow and, 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 and are transformed is by setting our minds on what pleases God. And then secondly, we learn to respond to the truth that we have learned. Verse 9. Paul continues, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Your new Greek word, it's prosete and may sound different than that. I always make everything sound French or Spanish when I try to pronounce Greek words. But again, let's talk about the mood. It is active. We just learned that active is important. The tense is present. And so we know that our practice should be immediate, ongoing, and is a command for the Christian life. It's also an imperative. So those are the two imperatives. We, we've, we've looked at think about, now we looked at practice. Paul writes, what you have learned, and, 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 and the, the, this is a, a verb form of, a, of the noun that's translated disciple in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Practice is, is from the same root as the word disciple. Now, that's, there's a whole sermon right there, is it not? Absolutely. Because we want to be faithful what? Disciples. And that means our practice is going to be different than those who do not know the Lord. Now Paul's teaching uh, in Philippi was both public and private as he sought to make disciples of the Philippians. So, so as he calls the, the church to, to, to practice what he has modeled, what he's taught, what they've heard about him, what they've seen in him, is to see them become faithful Disciples. So what you have learned, what I've taught you, I want you to practice. Secondly, what you've received. Now this is an interesting uh, dynamic that we see Paul doing here. Paul says, okay, you've learned this, but, but, but the word received has a little bit of, different of a spin on it in the Greek. What he taught, the Philippians had believed, and, and Paul expected that belief to shape the way they lived. In other words, he wanted what they had learned and, and claimed to embrace to become convictions in their lives that began to, to change the way they functioned. Make sense? All right. Amen indeed. And then Paul says, and heard his reputation was what was above reproach and he wanted the Philippians to have the same reputation. He's like, listen, and, and we've seen this throughout Philippians, right? He has pointed to himself as an example throughout the scripture. You've heard me teach. You've heard about my ministry in other cities. And and I want others to hear about your reputation as a faithful church and seen in me. And so the Philippians had witnessed firsthand the, the ministry of Paul and his faithfulness. Now, here's something to consider as we can think about especially what where Paul says what you've learned and received. Now, just as teachers of the word and preachers of the word will be held accountable for what they teach, those that are taught are also accountable for what they do with what they've learned. It's not just a one way street. And belief must lead to conviction. That's action on which the truth we've learned. Here's a a warning from Jerry Bridges on seeking to to, to apply or, or, or to be influenced by the Word of God. What happens when we don't? He writes, One thing we can be sure of, if we do not actively seek to come under the influence of God's Word we will, think about the continuum, we will come under the influence of sinful society around us. The impact of our culture with its heavy emphasis on materialism, living for oneself, and instant gratification is simply too strong and pervasive for us not to be influenced by it. That is a strong and true statement. So in essence, what he's saying is like, there ain't no middle ground, pardon my southernism. We are either on the continuing, continuum of influence of the world that we live in, or we are under the influence of the Word of God. Now again, we may be pulled either direction, but, but there's no resting. Okay, we, we, we don't rest in our level of godliness in the sense that we've somehow arrived. Paul never even thought that. Now we rest in Christ as the one who has done everything that needed to be done in order to redeem us, reconcile us to God. But the reality is if we are going to be faithful, we have to be straining and striving through, through, through the study of God's Word, not just the studying it, but the memorization of it, the meditating upon it, and not just that, but more importantly, the seeking to apply it to our lives as well. There, there is really no place for us to adopt a, a lazy attitude as it relates to our spirituality, brothers and sisters. We are called to, to strive, to press on in faith, For the glory of God in our lives and that leads to our greater joy as we will soon see so responding to the truth we've learned first of all we need to recognize that true faith must lead us to submission to God and his word if we consistently Have a hard time submitting ourselves to what God has said is good and 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 seek to avoid what God says is evil. If we consistently have a problem with that, then we need to check the validity of our faith. Do we really believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that, that our sin is so serious that Jesus had to die to save us? Now again, I'm not saying or describing the absence of temptation. We are all tempted and tried we all fail but but is the course of our life does it does it look more like a a view of the christian life that this is just something that i can add on to, to to my worldly view of things me, me and god are good now I, I, I go to church that that's that's not an attitude that 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 reflects genuine faith so true faith must lead us submission to god and his word can we honestly say we love God and, and reject his authority in our lives? No. To, to do so doesn't reflect a love for God. It, it reflects a, a, a sappy, worldly sentiment, sentimentality towards God. It's kind of like the Christmas story, right? We, 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 we all like to, to, to see the nativity scene and things like that, and it should be a time of, of great joy and worship for believers. But it's also a time where it's very easy for folks to come along because it's a nice story, right? Yeah, God became flesh, and he was a cute little baby in the manger. But we worship differently at Christmas, do we not? We recognize that the baby born in a manger is the Lord of the universe. We recognize that the baby born in a manger was born to die, to redeem us, to, to restore us to God. And that he's going to come back in glory and in power. And that Lord means boss. That, that, that's not being sentimental. That's recognizing the defining truth over our lives. So Paul's not describing this idea of that, that we can pick and choose as it relates to, to God's Word and we can obey when we want to and, and resist when we don't and that God's okay with that. that, that that's not loving God. And listen, we're all going to be tempted to think that way many times. And we have to resist. We we have to think in a way, as we saw in verse 8, that lines up with what God has said is true. My flesh wants to compromise every Monday. And if they're... Not just Monday, by the way, but especially on Monday. Every day. But Mondays, after... Ministry on Sunday, I know that the desire is going to be strong. And, and, and even the words that I know are true and authoritative. There's this temptation for them to lose their punch. Well, Jesus, I was faithful yesterday. Can I just compromise a little bit today? And to say it from here sounds stupid, but it is a perfect description of life on this earth. We can be flying high one day and the next. Everything that we affirmed the day before is called into question. And that's why Paul says, orient your mind towards what you've learned. Believe it. Cling to it. Stand on it. No matter what your eyes and your mind and your heart may say to you, in those moments of weakness, cling to the truth. That's why God, one of the reasons God gave it to us in the form of a book. Because no matter how you feel, you can turn back here and it says the same, same thing every day. Something you can stand on, something you can rest in. Brothers and sisters, as we learn more about who God is and what he's done and and even what he expects of his people, we also must apply our wills and, and bring them into conformity to what God's will is. And as we grow in spiritual maturity, we are called to teach and disciple and serve as examples to others as we point them to the God who saves. As we grow in knowing him, we grow in our love for him, dear ones. Brothers and sisters, in this day of divisiveness and outrage, our faith must be evident to all and how we interact with both believers and non-believers alike. Our lives have to have more of a flavor of Jesus to them than whatever movement or activity we are passionate about at a given moment. Our primary allegiance is to God and our primary obedience is to his word and our primary obligation is to love both God and man in a way that reflects God's glory. And we must discipline ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit in order to grow spiritually and stand firm in the face of temptation. Now, this is an interesting time of year here in Lancaster County, is it not? Isaac and I left the house early yesterday morning and we were greeted with a smell that you don't encounter many other places in the United States that delicious smell of fertilized field. And I kid you not, after 15 years of living here, I still am not used to it. But as believers, we have a different aroma to our lives. Now, it's not a physical thing that people actually smell with their noses, but it is the impression, it is is the influence that we leave in their lives as we brush up against them. And I think we lose sight of, brothers and sisters, how important it is and how God can use us when we are willing to live and interact with others in a way that glorifies Him. They, they, they need that scent of, of of Jesus in their nostrils more than they need to hear about how much I love hunting they, they need that 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 aroma of Jesus in their nostrils more than they need my political views They need that aroma of Jesus in their nostrils spiritually speaking more than they could use any else but what are they left smelling when I walk away as we saturate our lives with God's word as we set our minds on those things that honors God and as we put into practice and are shaped by what we learn from his word then we experience a greater intimacy with God that's how Paul wraps up this section practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now I do not know any Christian that does not desire a greater sense of the intimacy of God. There is there is a a peace that comes with that. There there is a joy that comes with that. There is an absence of fear that comes with that and and when we have those moments we never want them to end. God has never promised us those moments non-stop all the time because we don't get that till we get to heaven. But I cannot help but ask myself, how much more could we experience those times if we took seriously passages like Philippians 4, 8, and 9? I believe this passage calls us to repent and reprioritize our lives. First of all, we must remind ourselves, remember that that the greatest gift that God has given us is himself. We must embrace the calling on our lives that the greatest endeavor that we will ever undertake is seeking to know God through the study of his word. Do you believe that? That that the greatest thing that you've been called to apply yourself to every day is, is to come to know God better from his word and then let the fruit of that shape everything else you do we must come to realize that the greatest gains we will ever make in this life relate to how we glorify God you can become president of the United States but if you have not spent your life in pursuit of of God himself then it will profit you nothing we must act on these realizations by prioritizing those disciplines that enable us to draw nearer to God in faith and obedience we must study God's word we must meditate on God's word that means think deeply chew on if you will God's Word. We must be a people of prayer. We must be sincere in our worship. We must pursue true fellowship with other believers. We must sacrifice and serve one another with joy. We should pursue personal holiness as followers of Christ, and so on. But these are the ways in which we grow in our faith. And this is a call to all believers. Let us pray. Lord, I pray, first of all, that we would never, ever, no, never forget that discipline and obedience are not the basis of our salvation, but they are the evidence that we are truly in the faith. Lord, we don't study, we don't pray, we don't worship in order to get you to forgive us. We do so because you have. And so I pray, Lord, that each person here, Lord, whether they have been offended, challenged, even are questioning their faith, Lord, I I pray that that above all else, they would see the call to Christ as being the only way of salvation. And then they would see these calls to to obey, to study, to read, to, 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 to follow you as the fruit of a saved life. I ask that you would do this in Jesus' name, amen.